Good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here at Renew Bible as we continue our Mark series. What a wonderful morning of worship it has been. I trust that you will be encouraged by being in the house of the Lord today. You know, it's fall, so uh, it's that time of year where it's just a little bit more exciting to throw a hoodie on and sit by a campfire. How many of you love to do that? I, I love sitting around campfires. It's such a great time of, of roasting marshmallows or doing all sorts of different things. And if you've ever um, sat around fires, you know, you end up telling stories and people are sharing with one another. It's great, unless you're with middle schoolers and then... They're putting sticks in the fire and trying to burn everybody around you and all these different things, you know. But, but uh, fires have always meant a lot to me because um, I have a lot of memories around fires from uh, going out campfire, camping with my dad or camping with when I was younger. And I also had a privilege of working in camp ministries for a while. And it was a very common thing to have your cabin or your group of guys specifically that I had around a campfire and talking. And I would try to leverage those times to make spiritual illustrations. And it was pretty easy with a fire because fire is talked about in scripture quite a bit. We're told as children of God will be refined by fire. And if you think about a blacksmith or a silversmith and how they melt things down to bring out the impurities, we think about the holiness of God as a consuming fire. And it's fun sometimes to sit around a fire and leverage that, especially when you worked in camp ministry with kids who they're getting their first taste of scripture about God and, and illustrations that are right in front of them really speak volumes and are memorable. And so it goes without question, when you're sitting around a campfire, at some point, someone will bring up, wow, what would hell be like as you're looking at a fire? Because we think about flames and all these different things. And so eventually you get into those kinds of conversations and you gotta be careful in those moments because when you're dealing with younger people or you're dealing with people who are just new to the faith in general, Scripture says we're to be very careful with that. But I did some things at times that would just uh, kind of get their attention if I couldn't. And so we had various little techniques to grab people's attention. And mine was a song. I had learned it from someone else. It wasn't my own, but I get around the campfire. Come on, guys, let's get the fire going. All right, quit, quit playing in the fire. Okay, we yell, and we'd sit down. I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna teach you guys a little song. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris, what's the song? I'm 20 years old at the time, you know, and I uh, teach them a, a real cool song like this. Here we go like this. If I had a shiny new box, they're all looking at me, to put my Jesus in. Where's this going? I'd open it up and, and put it back again. I'd say, sing it with me, guys. They're looking at me like. <laughs> Day one, Monday, they're always looking at you like, you're crazy. But as a counselor, you don't care. Sing it with me, guys. If I had, and one of them's like, in my hand. They're making funny, so I'm like, if I had a shiny new box to put my Jesus in, I'd open it up and and put it back again. But if I had a little old box to put the devil in, they're all looking, I'd open it up and smash his face! <laughs> and put it back again. And they're looking at me, do it again, do it again, do it again. I'll be like, all right, let's sing it again. And Monday, they think I'm nuts. Friday, our whole cabin's doing it at lunchtime. <laughs> you go to extreme measures sometimes to share the gospel with people or share the truth. But we're also called to be careful, especially in regards to dealing with people of younger faith. You know that Jesus said he wants us to be so cautious that there are specific warnings. You ever see a warning label? There are specific warnings on how Jesus says we are to treat people younger in the faith. In fact, he says, you better heed this warning because it would be better for you to have a, anybody want to take a shot? Millstone around your neck 
than to lead one of these little ones astray. Today, we're gonna call our message Millstone. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter nine, verses 42 through 50. And I've gotta be honest, this message should come with a warning label. Jesus is going to discuss something in scripture today that is difficult for us to comprehend, horrifying for us to process, and terrifying to think of the reality. Did you know in scripture, the person who talks about hell the most is Jesus? You ever wonder why that would be? He talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. It's as if Jesus is going out of his way to put a warning label on this place. And when you're sitting around a group of young guys at a campfire who's thinking about whether that girl likes them, whether they're gonna get the starting position, whether they're gonna fit into this group, whether they want to actually be home with their mom instead of a full week of camp, when you're sitting around all these different personalities and you're saying to them that there is something on the line in your life that must be dealt with, you wanna be careful with it. And therefore today I wanna to exercise care, but I wanna exercise confidence in what scripture is very clear about. And we're gonna do so by talking about a subject that is not necessarily handled very much, especially in the 21st century. But you came to Renew Bible Church. And therefore we look at what the Bible says about this so that we will not leave uneducated at least with what scripture says. So I pray today that we would truly process where will our soul spend eternity? Where? Scripture has a way for you to be assured about that, but Scripture has a warning label on where you do not want it to go. We're going at Millstone. The gospel is in Mark. I'm gonna have a word of prayer. We're gonna look at Jesus' teachings immediately. Heavenly Father, use your word today to convict us and to challenge us. Lord, I pray that you would remove all distraction from this place for eternity may weigh in the balance for somebody even here today or listening online. Lord, I pray as we carefully handle your truth that we would let scripture speak for itself for no one needs to hear from a mere man. They need to hear from you. And never more have you been more clear than what your son, Heavenly Father, Jesus has said about hell. And so Lord, as we evaluate this subject, I pray that you would remove the room of all distractions so that we might hear what you have to communicate. I also pray that you would humble our hearts to receive it. But I pray even more importantly, you would well up inside of everyone here, especially those who are children of God, to have a heart of empathy. For it is said, many a preacher has preached on hell, but have they been able to preach it with a tear in their eye? May we do so with great, great empathy today. For this is nothing that anyone would wish on even their worst enemy. We pray these things as we open your words solemnly in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Little ones. We know the context was the disciples were arguing. They were all gathered together. And who knows, maybe it was around a fire. We forget sometimes that we, the accounts of scripture came before there was electricity. So much of the conversations with the disciples was probably by candlelight or by fire sitting around. We don't know, but you can imagine that if there was any kind of evening hours that a flame would be involved. Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones. Now we remember that Jesus had brought a child to him and said, you guys want to be great? Yeah, okay, be like one of these. Because 
mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the greatest of them all? In this world, in this land of Est, it's whoever's the fastest, strongest, tallest, coolest, whatever. But in the kingdom of God, it is those who are servants of all. And so this is the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, whoever causes one of these little ones, and we know that Jesus referred to his disciples at times as little ones. And so I think one of the best interpretations of this is not just young children are in mind here, but really anyone who is young in their salvation. Now I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you have come to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior within just the last five years. You're a child, if you will. You're young in your faith. And Jesus is speaking to these little ones. Hey, those who come to me, those who are young in their faith, I want you to be very careful with them because if you were to lead them astray, it would be, watch this, better for you if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You almost want Peter to walk up. Jesus, we're being a little extreme here. This is extreme language here. If you were to walk by my office and you were heard, listen guys, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck than to do that as an employee at this church. You'd probably go, Chris, are you okay? Everything going okay? I'm wound up. And we kind of get that feeling of Jesus is a little wound up here. He's a little very intense. It'd be greater to have them into the sea. Now, if you were the Jewish audience or the disciples of the day, they're thinking, well, the sea, a place of punishment and a place of the wicked, oftentimes it was symbolic of that. So are you referring to that? Now, some of them might have in mind, oh, the Romans, one of the things they do is they do give people millstones, sometimes larger or, or, or body size, and, and they throw them into the sea and they drown and die. What a terrible way to die. Jesus is saying, here's the deal. If you were to lead one of my children astray, especially these little ones, it would be better if a great millstone was hung around your neck and thrown into the sea millstone. That's something a donkey would carry, uh, uh, have that, that large yoke and they'd walk in circles and they grind down the grain. And so look at the imagery Jesus is using. This is a big deal. And that gives me a little pause because I know there are college kids who are going off to colleges that even claim to be Christian and are having people attacking their Orthodox faith from the pulpits of their classrooms. There are people who are purposely on some sort of holy war in their anger at God to try to get people who believe in Jesus to see the real God that ruins people's lives. There are people who do go out of their way to lead astray people who have a faith in Jesus, and that gives me pause, because Jesus, being very aggressive in his language, very extreme, and we often think, oh, Jesus, gentle and mild, like a lamb led to slaughter. Here he says, it'd be better if a millstone were hung around their neck. It's as if God is saying, through his son Jesus, I see the atrocities. I see people purposely lying to my kids. Jesus doesn't stop. Listen to this. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. He continues. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. He continues. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. What's going on here? I see Jesus focusing on hands. He's focusing on feet and he's focusing on eyes. And is he saying, if I struggle with my hands, like if I, my hands take me to a website I shouldn't, I should grab a knife and boom. If my feet go to a place that I know is wrong or is betrayal in a relationship, I should hack them off. If, if my eyes are looking at things or desiring or lusting after things that they shouldn't, I should gouge them out. Is that what he's saying? 
what we see Jesus saying is, your hands are precious, aren't they? Oh, yes. If you ever lose your function of your hands, even for a little bit, even if you break a couple fingers and you learn how hard it is to brush your teeth without the use of your hand, we realize how precious they are. Our feet, we realize how precious they are. I know folks who have been hit with things like gout and they realize how painful it is to lose the ability with their feet and the pain. We, we, the, our feet are precious to us. Those of you who are younger that have no problems with your feet, you realize how precious they are when anything ever happens to them. Jesus is saying, you know your eyes, you know how precious they are. Yes, okay, listen to me then. It would be better for you to hack some of those off than to go to hell. What? This is how extreme I'm trying to be with you. Those are all precious things, but it'd be better to do that. So should we do that? Absolutely not. In fact, the Jews would have known that would be sacrilegious even for them as they look back in the law to mutilate anything on their body. Jesus is teaching what you value most is not worth it when it comes to heaven or hell. Why? What, what, what's so bad about hell? Isn't that kind of where the party's at? No, no, no. Jesus says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Anybody listening would have gone, oh, he's speaking about Gehenna. What? Gehenna. He's talking about Gehenna. What's Gehenna? Gehenna, the word, is what's called in uh, seminary circles as a transliteration. In other words, it's a word derived from its original word that sounds like it. It comes from the word Gehenom. Gehenna comes from Gehenom. Hinnom was a valley just outside Jerusalem. This valley was used by people like King Ahaz for demonic practices. In fact, at times, they burned children alive in the valley of Hinnom to the god Molech. And God saw them do it. He didn't miss it. And our Heavenly Father says, I want something to be really clear. I do not get mocked. Do not misinterpret my patience for a lack of justice coming. Hinnom was an evil, evil place. In fact, Israel was exiled. When they came back, the valley was no longer used for demonic practices and the killing of children, which we can't even imagine However, in the time we're living in, some of you are seeing images right now of people being tortured and killed at such graphic things. It disturbs your soul. This is the idea of the Valley of Hinnom. And so when they came back from exile, they used it as a rubbish heap and it smelled. It had dead bodies, dead animals, corpses, all these things. They just used it as dumps and, and it smelled. It, it had, a, had a sulfur smell, which can be also used as the word brimstone. Have you ever, have you ever heard of a sermon preaching style, fire and brimstone in the pulpit? That's where the idea is. Gehenna. You might say, Scripture has a, a lot of uses of words for hell. I, I feel like I hear a lot of words that are used as afterlife. And I get confused, Pastor Chris, at times of all the Hades, um, uh, Gehenna, Tartarus. Uh, what, what, are, what are all these things going on? In fact, it, it can be sometimes confusing. And, and me being more of a visual learner, I can kind of visualize in charts. But I remember the Gehenna was a place where the smoke rises forever. So Jesus is using that valley to speak about hell so 
that they would listen to him and process this. But, but the reality is there's a lot of different ways to talk about the afterlife. And, and I, I like charts sometimes, you know, some of you guys like when I say, let's jump into seminary. So, so here's the deal. Ecclesiastes tells us our body dies. There's a statistic going around out there. You've heard me say this. 100% of people die, okay? So the body dies, okay? And then the soul carries on. If you came to Renew Bible during our soul series, we talked about how we have our body and we have our soul. Now, we didn't get into dichotomy, trichotomy, and the different depths of study that you can get into these things, but we basically helped people understand there's an immaterial side, there's a material side, and we understand this. That inner person, our mind, our emotions, our will, when we say, I ask Jesus into my heart, we're talking about our soul. That soul lives on beyond death, and it lives or dies forever. What, what? Yeah, yeah, and scripture talks about Sheol, or Old Testament place for departed souls. And it talks about Hades, or the New Testament place for departed souls. Now, now we remember when the thief on the cross turned to Jesus and said, I, I wanna be with you. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's often sometimes referred to as Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. It's a place where Lazarus went if then that incredible account that Jesus gives of the rich man and Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke. What a, what a graphic imagery of hell. Um, and also Tartars or Gehenna, where the rich man was in that same uh, graphic account by Jesus. And he says, there's a great gulf in between that cannot be crossed. And then we have to remember, if you believe in a resurrection for the, for the child of God, there's also a resurrection for the wicked dead to receive their eternal body that goes on to judgment at the great white throne will be the wicked, Revelation 20, 11, thrown into hell and to judgment at the judgment seat of Christ or the righteous that will go to heaven. Here's an incredible question everyone needs to answer this side of earth, and I don't care if you're 12 or 80. Do you know where your soul will spend eternity? There's not many of us who go throughout our day. We're thinking more, um, man, will I make the team this week? Um, will my fantasy football team win? Um, will those girls invite me over Friday? Do you think I'll make the school play? We think about these things, and Jesus goes, hold up for a minute. Have you solved this one? This is important. It's so important. Like I said, Jesus talked about this more than anyone else. I referred to the rich man and Lazarus story in Luke 16. Can I read it to you? I had the privilege to coach baseball for a couple years at the high school level, and I got to work with the pitchers specifically. And there were times when the pitchers would be struggling to just trust, this was the phrase, trust your stuff. You'd see it in their eyes. They get concerned. They would start to nibble on the corners. And before you know, we're walking to everybody. Anybody who's watched baseball over the last three games knows what I'm talking about. And when you have that, a coach, one of the things they say is, come on, man, chuck it. Believe in yourself. Trust your stuff. Here's what I do when I'm struggling with what scripture says about something and it's bothering my soul. I trust the stuff and let the Bible preach and get out of the way. Here's what I wanna do. This is the words of Jesus. I say that because have you ever noticed in our modern times, people will say, well, the Bible, I know the Bible says that, but Jesus doesn't say that. We're gonna hear from Jesus on the subject. The one who gave his life so that anyone will believe in him would not go to this place. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine living and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. <sighs> That's the idea Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted everyone listening. Ew. Gross. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Jesus is about to give five descriptions of hell. Here's the first one. Hell is a place of fire. A fire. Scripture says in Mark 9, 46, where the fire is not quenched, it doesn't go out. There was a day where Hell was preached a lot from the pulpits and you could argue sometimes simply just to terrify people. Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Furnace of Fire says of the fact of hell being a place of fire, he says, the lost will wail and gnash their teeth from having to endure the most intense pain and suffering they have ever felt as the flames consume them and constantly burn every part of their bodies and there'll be no relief. I'm in agony in this flame. Jesus continues, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Here's a second characteristic. Hell is a place of torment. Revelation 14, 11 says, the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. In the sermon, Punishment of the Wicked, Edwards writes, nor will there ever be able, nor will they ever be able to find anything to relieve them in hell. They will never find any resting place there, any secret corner which will be cooler than the rest, where they might have just a little respite, a small abatement of the extremity of their torment. Hell will be a place of fire. Hell will be a place of torment. And besides this, Abraham continues, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from it here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Scripture is very clear. This isn't something that you can cross over because hell is a place of captivity. Revelation 20.10 says, where the wicked is tormented day and night forever. Some of you have heard of this preacher. He wasn't really interested in whether his audience thought highly or poorly of him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He writes, in hell there is no hope. They have not even the hope of dying or being annihilated. They are forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell there is written forever. The fire blazes the words forever. Above their heads they read forever. Their eyes are gold on their, and their hearts are painted with the thought that this is forever. Hell is a place of fire. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of captivity. And then the rich man yelled out, then I beg you, send him to my father's house. Send Lazarus for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I want you to note something. In scripture, every time it speaks of the wicked and their punishment, they never cry out, this isn't fair. They always have a sense of the extreme justice in comparison to the holiness of an incredible God. Hell is a place, fourth characteristic of shame. Daniel 12, 2 says it's a place of shame and everlasting contempt. Charles Spurgeon talks about outer darkness. He says, oh, if I could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out and that those who were lost might be saved, there will be jubilee in hell at the very thought of it. But it cannot be. It is forever. They are cast into outer darkness forever. Send Lazarus to tell my family. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus continues the story and he says, 
that Father Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they're not gonna hear what the scripture says, Moses and the prophets, they're not gonna be convinced even if, let's say, Jesus comes, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on the cross for them and rises again. That still won't convince them. Hell is a place of separation. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Spurgeon writes, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. This was the passion behind those preachers who shared about the warnings of hell. 2 Corinthians 5.11 has always spoke to me personally. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I was listening to a preacher speak on this subject. He said, I hear people from time to time use hell in a phrase. They'll say things like, my life is hell. They'll say things like, I'm going through hell. And he said, I cannot help but think when I hear that, they have no idea how awful hell is. It's a struggle. It's a difficult concept to work through. And there are those who will say, well, I just can't believe that a good God would allow people to suffer like that in hell forever. I heard one say one time, it's because of how good that God is that that punishment fits the crime. It's because of how good God is that his patience is unbelievable when horrific things are being done on our earth all the time. Some will say, I just can't believe in hell. A quote that really spoke to me, especially in my earlier years of becoming a a preacher and giving my life fully to this, it was this quote. Choosing not to believe in hell doesn't change the temperature down there one degree. If you believe in a heaven, you got that from the exact same book that just taught you about hell. If you believe in grace, oh, God's grace, I love God's grace, preach about God's grace, then you have to also examine what scripture says about hell. You see, We live in a time period where we will say, I don't believe in something because we don't want to believe in it. And we'll look at passages of scripture and try to excuse them away when they're right before our eyes. I know I have a conviction in my life as a shepherd and as someone who handles the truth and who loves his church dearly. I love you guys, by the way. I I tell everybody, this is the best congregation on earth. I am letting parents down. I am letting grandparents down. Our pastors are letting people down to not tell you about the warnings in scripture about hell. And therefore, that's why when Renew Bible comes upon the subject, we handle it with tremendous grace. We do not come at it with a condemnation that you're all going there and it, oh, I just, oh, I just, I wince when I hear people say, they're probably not saved. They're probably not even saved. We don't know that. We don't know that. Yes, we can tell by fruit, but I hear people sometimes will say, they're probably going to hell. And and if you ever were to think that, I want you to think something different. Have the worst pity on them possible. There are some who say, oh, it's simply symbolic. Jesus used some of the most horrific symbolic images you could ever think of to describe it. Have you ever noticed something 
that when symbolism is used, it's usually only just what words can describe. It's actually worse. And so even if that is a position you might take, I still want you to recoil and think through, where is my soul spending eternity? It's as if Jesus, speaking on fire, finishes this section in Mark. Let's return to our millstone conversation. For everyone, he says, will be salted with fire. And salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? He continues and he says this, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. What a difficult phrase. Listen to the phrase. Uh, everyone will be salted with fire. What a difficult phrase. It carries the idea that everyone, children of God, you'll go through seasons of fire in your life that's refining and purifying you. But if you're not a child of God, you could be facing the hellfire and be careful, heed the warning. It's Jonathan Edwards who says this, the world is all the hell a believer will ever endure. And it is all the heaven an unbeliever will ever experience. We will go through times of difficulty but make sure you never go to that place. I'll hear people sometimes say, we need to be careful. I mean, we don't want people to um, get saved just because they're scared of hell. I'm gonna push back on that and say, that is a wonderful, wonderful reason to get saved. That is an incredible reason. Do not go there is what our Savior's saying. If it means cutting your hands off, cut them off. You make sure you go to heaven. If it means your eyes come out, do it. Make sure you go to heaven. If it means your feet, do it. Make sure you go to heaven. Jesus, calm down. I don't want you going there. The devil and his angels, that's where they were to go because sin has entered this earth. Because one man's sin, it has spread throughout this earth and we live in this world of sin and destruction and pain. And some of you are seeing as well as feeling just some of the worst times ever you feel. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome that. Well, then why won't you come down here? Because there's still some who need to come to Christ. When the last one of the church age comes to know Christ as their savior, Jesus is gonna go, can I go get him, dad? Amen. And if you're in here today, could you please today so we can all go? <laughs> Let's have salt in ourselves. and Be salty people. May we handle the gospel, not with, you're going to hell, but, but instead with gentleness. Say, can I share my testimony with you? When you get to process how awful hell is, you don't look at your classmate in eighth grade the same way anymore if they don't know Christ. You say, can I tell you about something? Could you just let me tell you about something I believe in? Because I love you so much. Take it or leave it. It's okay, but I've got to share it. You don't look at your business part and go, yeah, you know what? It's a shame. You go, how can I figure out a way? You kind of sometimes take extreme measures out of love to share with them your heart. This quote shook me to the core. It's actually one of the reasons I, went, I, I believe in vocational ministry, and that's what God's called me to, not everyone, but he definitely called me, and this is one of those, one of those questions. It was asked at a conference, it says this, um, how much do you have to not care about someone to believe in heaven and not tell them about hell? So I took a piece of paper, and I got them around the campfire. Guys, yeah, can we sing the song again in a minute? I want to smash my, I know. There was this rich man, okay, okay, okay. And um, he had this sweet car. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of car? I'd always let him pick the car. Um, um, 
uh, uh, Jaguar, uh, uh, Benz, uh, uh, Maserati, okay, a Ferrari, okay, you got a Ferrari, yeah, Ferrari, okay, all right. There's this rich man, and he had a Ferrari. If you got a Ferrari, praise God, you're not the story, okay? I said, all right, he's got a Ferrari. And, and he drove to work every day, and his life was miserable, guys. He had all the money in the world. Every middle schooler wants to be rich, right? Yeah, all of my, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he, he would drive and he, all, all the time. He had all this stuff. And every time he would drive to work and come home from work, there was a poor man. And he'd be riding his bike. What kind of bike did he have? Huffy. Yeah, yeah, okay, Huffy bike. All right, Huffy bike. Okay, so, so he had a Huffy bike and he'd be riding his Huffy bike. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he'd be going, he whistled. He had Jesus in his heart. He was just one of this rich man. He had all the world's possessions. And he'd see this guy whistle. And he'd just make him so mad. And one day he had had enough. He was driving home. And he saw that poor man just whistling, having a good day. And he was so frustrated. He's like, you know what, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna bother him. I mean, this guy's got nothing. He's whistling, I've got multiple garages for all my stuff. I got everything I want. I, one time I went on a missions trip and um, uh, the, one of the little girls at a house, they had dirt floors. And, um, and, and I was talking about the way I live back in the United States. And she said, she said, you have your own room? I said, yeah, I have my own bedroom. What? I said, I know. I said, my sister has her own room too. Really? I said, yeah. She goes, do you have a car? Does your family have a car? I'm like, oh boy, we all have cars. You all have cars? Yeah, I heard, I heard, she said, Trinidad and Tobago, I heard in America, you build houses for your cars. <laughs> I've never thought about that. Yeah, our house, our garages are probably, we call them garages and we really don't build them for the cars. We put our junk in there. We park the cars outside. <laughs> Teach them kids, right? Rich man was driving back to his house and he saw the poor man on the side of the road on his, what bike guys? Huffy. Okay. On his Huffy bike. And he was driving his Ferrari. Yeah, he was on his Ferrari. He goes, I'm going to just scare the guy. And so he, he's driving. He turns. He just kind of cuts him a little bit. He, he went too far. And, and all of a sudden, he realized he hit him. And he drove into a tree, smashed, crashed. They're all looking at me. I said, oh, man, it was bad. He got out of the car. Okay, I got, oh, my word. I hit him. I hit him. And he went back to the poor man. He said, oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, are you okay? Are you okay? And he sees him getting up. And he's kind of stumbling a little bit and he sees he's got this piece of paper and, he, and he's folding it. What, what, what do you got there? What, what are you doing? I, I, oh, wow, wow. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, where are you headed? Poor man said, well, well and he noticed the glow coming off from the top of the ridge of the hill. There's like a gate up there and this yellow glow and the, and the poor man started walking towards it. And rich man said, where, where, what, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you, what's going on up there? Well, I'm, I'm gonna go up there to the gates and, and give, them, give them my ticket. Oh, that's what you're messing with there. That, that's, your, that's your ticket? Yeah, yeah, I'm, this is my ticket. It's, it was in my pocket. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him my ticket. He started walking up the hill and he gets up to the hill and Abraham says, can I see your ticket to get into the gate? And he says, oh, yeah, the rich man says, oh, I don't have a ticket. Could I have some of your ticket? And the poor man, just being who he was, said, okay. And he, he started to rip, started to rip his ticket right there. Started ripping it down the side like that. And he goes, here. And he says, no, no, I want the bigger side. Okay, here. And he gives him his ticket. Poor man takes his ticket and continues on. He says, no, no, wait, wait, wait. And he runs ahead of him. And he gets up there to the gate. And he's got his ticket. And the poor man's behind him now. And he gets in front of Abraham. I'll tell you what. So, so everybody at the campfire could see. I, I pulled him in. And so you guys can see. Can we get a cameraman? Can we get a cameraman out here? I want them to see. We, we got the guys around here. They're all looking. What's he got in that ticket? I said, he's got something. And, and, and a rich man wanted to make it look like he had more. He started ripping off another piece. Like, what, what's going on here? And he started going right down the middle of that. And he takes it. <laughs> and he gives it to Abraham. And Abraham says, all right, let's take a look at this. Lays it down. So what are you, what are you doing? Well, we're just gonna 
fold this here and the poor man starts to look over. What's going, what's going on there? What, what, what are you doing? What, what's it? Well, I'm, I'm just looking at your ticket. I want to see, see where your destiny lies. This ticket will tell us. He goes, what, what do you mean the ticket will tell us? And then we saw Abraham start to do this. What, what are you doing there? And he started to move like this. And then he started to slide. He started to see it coming together. And before you know it, he saw that it spelled out the word hell. What? In your life, you had your good things. And the poor man didn't. And now my guys around the campfire like, what? What's the other ticket say? What's, what's the poor man's ticket say? I said, all right, well, let's look at it. Calm down. Poor man walked and gave it to Father Abraham. He said, well, that, what's that going to spell? He goes, well, let's take a look. And he unfolds it. And he unfolds it again. And he unfolds it again. And he says, no, nope. Yep. This is the ticket to heaven. He has accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Oh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever should perish will not perish if they believe it in him. Verse says, I don't understand. And Abraham began to take the paper. He said, it's as if this is true. There is a gulf that separates God from man. And he cannot get there on his own ability. There's a gulf that separates him. And someone has to come and create the bridge, but it can't be anybody. It has to be someone sinless. It can't be your preacher. He is from the line of Adam. It can't be dad, although he's great. It can't be mom. It's gotta be the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. Because the law says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And so Jesus came and shed his perfect blood to create a bridge, to go across the gulf so that anyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again, in fact, scripture's so clear, guys, listen to me. As the fire burns, scripture's so clear. You don't have to perform. You don't have to arrive. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You simply need to come to Christ. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and God rose him from the dead, you will be, watch this, saved. Amen? But if you don't, guys, Scripture's also clear. And I would take it and I'd go like this. you don't know Christ as your savior, I gotta warn you guys, Jesus says, we'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Thank you, buddy. I had the privilege multiple weeks on Thursday or Friday night of one of those boys going, I wanna accept Jesus as my savior. One of them went even into full-time ministry. Some of them sat there and looked at me. Some were like, I don't know. And some were like, how did you do that? I want to learn that trick. <laughs> but this I do know. I love this church and I love everyone listening. And I love everybody watching online too much to not warn you about an awful place that the same book that told you about Jesus, the same book that told you about heaven, the same book that told you that he rose again from the dead is the same book that tells you hell is real. It's a punishment for those who don't believe. Don't go there. There's no magic prayer. There's no do this and then this. It is simply say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven.
And child of God out there, if you've been saved a thousand times, stop it. He heard you. He loves you. And your performance as a Christian cannot make you love him any less. Amen. That's what grace is. But if you're not sure, would you pray with me today? With our heads out and our eyes closed. Heavenly Father, with the boldness of your word, but with a tear in our eye, may we pray, share our heart, and share with gentleness and empathy our love for you with others. It is said that the number one reason Christians don't share their faith is not because they're scared. It's not because they might be rejected. It's because they're not that excited about it themselves. May we fall in love with you again. For you gave your son to die on that cross because you're such a good God. You don't want anyone to perish. And you've given us the warning. And in our human pride, sometimes we think we can elevate ourselves above the scriptures or explain them away as insignificant or folly. Oh, but if this is true, may it ring a warning to all those who hear that this is not a place you want your soul to go. For those who are listening today, Lord, maybe they wish to pray. Jesus, be my savior. Save me from hell and make my destiny heaven. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to choose your way. Be my Lord and savior. Jesus, only you know the hearts of those who are here today. And there's no magic words or simple ways to say it. It's simply saying, Jesus, you have my life. And Lord, would you intervene on any voice in the child of God that's telling them you're not saved for they have held on your name and they've confessed with their mouth and they believe that you died and rose again. And they go through seasons of discouragement and struggle on this side of earth because we're all salted with fire. But Lord, may we never be punished with it. And it's because we've called on the name of the Lord. Knowing the terror of the Lord, scripture says, the apostle Paul reminds us, we persuade men, not because we're something, but because we love them enough to share the truth. Amen.